0: Hello and welcome to episode 41 of the Casual Try Hard Podcast. I'm Brian and I'm James and I guess first of all we're going to say pull back the curtain we are recording during the finals of the mythic championship.
1: Yeah it's kind of awkward this week Uh, real life got in the way so the mythic championship hasn't finished yet and we haven't had the BNR yet even though you guys
0: will already know the outcome by the time you listen to this. So we're going to be a little lighter on the Mythic Championship stuff, but we'll touch on it a little bit. Yeah. Some of the big picture things. Yep. But we're not going to get super granular there. Yeah. They
1: are actually playing the finals right now.
0: It is Bangalos versus uh, Gruel. Yep. So there you go. If you want to tweet at us and be like, why did you record early? Uh, (laughs) Get at us at Casual Tripod
1: on Twitter. Yep. You can find us at Casual Try Hard MTG on Facebook. You can shoot us an email at show at CasualTryHardMTG.com, or you can check out our YouTube channel, Casual Try Hard MTG.
0: So if you are like new to us, which I from a few random tweets and Facebook posts, we have some new people.
1: Yeah, and also, even if you're not new but need a refresher, we cover... Like some pretty evergreen topics, like in our podcast, that I'm sure we'll circle back to at some point, but you guys will probably get sick of us talk about the same thing every week. This is your reminder that we have a lot of really good content in our backlogs, so if you guys run out of stuff to listen to or... Are looking for information on a specific topic? Make sure you check out our backlog.
0: Yeah, I think after like the fourth or fifth episode, I did a much better job with like at least listing the topics and the timestamps yeah. and the descriptions. Yep. So it's easy to kind of go back and like look and see what each show mm-hmm. like covered. So yeah, there's a few things that about like building sealed pools yep. and mm-hmm. like met, how to look at meta games and stuff like that. Yep, that we've we over.
1: Uh, I think one of my favorites was the mental game one. Yeah, we talk about some of the mental tricks. So, a lot of
0: good information. Check it out. Yeah. So we're gonna like, we're gonna start with the Mythic Championship. Usually, one of these tournaments, everyone wants to go like build the lists and see what did well. Yeah. But there is a problem with that for this tournament. Well, do you want to
1: talk about this Mythic Championship compared to most Mythic Championships? I think we can. This one is small.
0: Yeah, it's sixty-eight players. Yeah, typ- a,
1: typically a pro tour is like five hundred-ish players.
0: Yeah, like like somewhere between three and five hundred, yeah. somewhere in there. Yeah, what this meant was the deck lists were much more focused on what the expected meta game was. Right. I mean, that happens at all mythic championships, but in a five hundred-person tournament, yeah, you stand a much higher chance of running into. Joe Blow and his first Mythic Championship. That's gonna play. Yeah, sarkins unsealing.
1: Yeah, I think that's kind of a product of how they're doing these Arena Mythic Championships too, because you have, you know, the MPL players and you have the Challenger players, and then you have like the Mythic qualified or whatever. The pool is so small, and everybody is so high profile because they're all streamers that you can legitimately go down a list and say okay this person's probably going to play this deck this person's probably going to play this deck this person's probably going to play this deck whereas if you have a you know th- even a small one a 300 man tournament that's not really something you can do
0: yeah you could have a guess at like what you think the best deck's going to be yeah but like you stand a much greater chance of missing right so your like hard target meta game deck mm-hmm. might not work out right you can so- almost think of it like your FNM, mm-hmm. right? If you know that you always have three players that are gonna play a red aggressive deck, mm-hmm. right? You know you play like the the devout decrees in your sideboard, yeah. Or you play some way to like gain life. You play a knight of autumn because mm-hmm. you know that your main deck knight of autumn is gonna win you a game if you draw it. Yep. Right. So you build your deck because you know what your little meta game is. You know, like mm-hmm. oh, like. This card is good because these three people play mono red. These two people are going to play the enchantment deck. Yeah. Night of Autumn's great. It's good everywhere, right? Right, and it's the same kind of thing here. Like people were taking shots based mm-hmm. on what they thought the meta game was going to be.
1: Yeah, there was a pretty common tech of having four main board disdainful strokes for Golos, right? Yeah, Golos so and the Route.
0: the simic one of the simic food decks. Yeah was playing four main deck to sample strokes just for that reason to shore up their matchup against Golos. Yeah. And so against the like the red green aggressive decks or like the Mardu aggressive decks, that card has one to four, tar- like four to eight targets in those games. And it's like, yeah. Oh, this card is stone dead. I mulliganed against yeah person who I know is on red, black, right? Red, black X. So yeah, so there was a lot of things that were done in this tournament that I think were only good for this tournament. Mm-hmm. So like the inclusion of all the ember cleaves, mm-hmm. that was a concession to I can never attack on the ground. Right. Because there's gonna be a bunch of Golo zombies. So I'm just going to double strike and trample my way through them mm-hmm. and that's going to be how I get through, da- get damage through.
1: Right. And with all the Ember Cleaves, you mean the Gruel list and the Knights list, right? Yes. Yeah.
0: So basically the, as we talked about last time, the tournament broke down into like Golos, mm-hmm. Oko, and then like the seven people that decided to play Ember Cleaves. Right. And that was like the tournament. There was a few, there was like green black adventures that mm-hmm. I don't think any of those they tooed. No. That's a they, shame. They got, got. Yep. We didn't mention last week is that I do believe it was 62 or something of this 64 day one list were green. Yes. And then day two, it was probably 24 out of the 28 day two decks were green yeah
1: i was trying to look for a breakdown and i couldn't find it yeah just
0: like off the top of my head there was mono there was mono red and then three uh mardu decks Mm -hmm. and then i think everyone else was a green deck probably right so green is really good Mm -hmm. and i think that if there is a ban i think that what you can take away from this tournament is that you either should be playing green or have a very cohesive plan for how to deal with turn 2 Oko, turn 3 Nissa Right. Uh, because I think that's what the format is going to be about. Mm-hmm. Is just sticking one of those two Planeswalkers qu- quickly. Could very well be. And then going from there. Yeah. So it's not a great place to be. But you know this is what the format is going forward. I think it's just going to be green blue x like yeah. pick your other color we'll find out tomorrow we will find out tomorrow you guys will find out four days ago <laughs> yeah you will we <laughs> will we'll see if we can get it out early because i well i guess i have eight hours of driving to do so maybe yeah not. probably not so don't take a whole lot from these lists right. i think the macro takeaway is this is a messed up magic card as she's been yeah has been since people started playing her yeah and oko is poorly designed Yep, about covers it. I think, just think about Oko for a second. If Oko's turn a thing into a 3-3 was a minus, Mm -hmm. then there would be a penalty for you making your opponent's creature a 3-3. Right. Because then you could lose your Oko. Right. Right, And I don't know if they just changed that at the end or if they didn't want you to have a penalty. The number of times people went like turn to Oko Turn your gilded goose into a three three. Mm-hmm. So now I've cut you off of mana, and even <laughs> if you attack my oko, I still have it's still at, it still have an oko. It's still a two. Yeah, and then I plus it to four. Right. Okay. Like, yeah. like there's just no penalty. Like there's there's nothing you can do with oko to like actually lose it. Right. And most times, like when your planeswalker ability like removes a creature. Yeah. You go down on loyalty and you make it vulnerable. And Almost this just every doesn't, time. This just doesn't do that. Yeah. Or if it's a plus, like it's like kill a thing, lose life or something, mm-hmm. right? It's not just like plus kill a thing. Right. So it just seems weird. Like there's just no penalty for it. Mm-hmm. We will see what gets banned. I think that going forward, we're, you're effectively brewing in a new-ish format. Yeah going forward. So I think the stuff we've talked about in previous episodes about how to brew in a new format and looking at the powerful interactions. Yeah. It's still going to apply. Yeah. But you know, like from the jump, what the like powerful interaction is. Yeah. It's mana creatures into
1: planeswalkers. Yeah. Oko
0: and Nissa. Yeah. So it's, can you find a, an advantage for that?
1: Mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to talk much about the BNR because it's going to be kind of, out-of-date news yeah but you you did have a an interesting couple tweets that you showed me yesterday right
0: oh yeah so brian gottlieb uh tweeted a picture of his timeline yeah and the first tweet it says 18 minutes ago yeah. and it was from brad nelson and it was like
1: wasn't it frolic
0: or was it frolick yeah that goes eric frolick large person yep easily confused <laughs> a large person tweeted yeah um Basically, that like just because Golos didn't dominate the tournament and there's only one in the top eight, yeah, that doesn't mean you shouldn't ban Field of the Dead mm-hmm. because it just invalidates so many other strategies. Right, that you just can't bother to to be bothered with. Um, I mean, I'm playing Blue Red and I'm like every game I'm like well, I'm gonna cut these Bryborn cutthroats because they never get to attack. Right, right, and then. Six minutes before that, so twenty four minutes ago on the timestamp mm-hmm. was um, Cedric Phillips saying, You shouldn't ban Golos. Look how like it didn't do that well in this tournament. Yeah, amazing what you can do if you actually like try to like work on beating the deck. This format's only three weeks old. <laughs> One, I would contend the format's like four weeks old based on our discussion last episode. Yeah. And two, If, like, everything is, I have to put four cyborg cards in my main deck. It's the whole deck problem. Yeah. So I don't get clowned. Yeah. That's not, like, that's not where you want your format to be. Right. So I don't know if you can just be like, well, they had to play disdainful strokes and, like, Embercleave on some level is not a standard playable magic card. In a normal format where people have, like, removal. Right. Like that is just not a playable card.
1: Right, but thirty zombies makes it tough to play removal. Exactly. Yeah. So you
0: like you're just not playing no one's playing removal, so yeah. you just do that. Like I played uh, again Blue Red on Arena last night against the Kenyuki Hero Mardu deck mm-hmm. and I was like Shock a thing, shock a thing, Scorching Dragonfire a thing, Lava Coil a thing. And, like, their Steel Claw Lances just sat there.
1: Yeah, and didn't do anything. Yeah, and it's
0: like, well, okay, like, that doesn't do anything. Like, you yeah. just have two blank cards now because I had, like, three removal spells. hmm That card doesn't function if you have removal spells in your format. Right. And we just don't right now, and that's the sign, I think, of an unhealthy, mm-hmm. like, standard format. Nope, I, I agree with you. Yeah, I...
1: It has certainly been tough for me to nail down a deck in this format. Yes.
0: I think that the last couple of standards also we've had this thing where like mana doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, not right? so much.
0: Like Nyssa, you just get like a million mana. Right. Do whatever you want. Yep. Fires of Invention, do whatever get a million you want. mana. Uh, Bolas' Citadel, Yep. you have to pay some life, but you have infinite mana. Basically. Do what, Do whatever you want off the top of your deck. And it's just weird. It doesn't feel like that's how magic... There's, like, no restriction on resources. Like, your resource restriction is cards. Yep. And it's, like... It's just weird. It just doesn't feel right. So, yeah. So, if we're wrong and, like, it's uh, a Bant Golos world going forward, I think that the takeaway is, is, like, the Simic decks Mm -hmm. or the Bant decks are good. Like, the Bant Ramp deck or the... And, again, like... I think the coverage was pushing super hard that we had seven different archetypes. Right. There were three. Basically. Right? There were there was blue-green stuff that all played Nissa, all played Oko. Right. Whether and, it
1: was food or ramp or whatever you wanted yeah, to call it. It
0: was Gilded Goose or Paradise or both. Yeah. Nissa, Oko, Hydroid Crisis. Right. And then the last eight to ten creature spells in the slot, in the deck were whatever you wanted them to be. Yeah, we'll call it Simic midrange. Yeah, and it was like, no, it's like yeah. they're all the same deck. Basically. It's like, you know, when you're delver and they're like, "Well, I'm Teamer yeah. delver." And it's like, "One well, okay, cool, you have some green cards." Yeah, you got Charmgoif. I'm, I'm Grixis delver. Cool, you have like a you got def- Zombie Fish. Yeah, you've got a It's the same deck. Yeah. Like you're doing the same thing. And the, I think they just wanted to be like, "Look, look how diverse our format is." And it's like, yeah. no. Look how diverse no, like, I can count how many of these cards are in all the decks. <laughs> like, it's fine. So, with that, we're going to transition to our evergreen topic.
1: Yeah. Back, I believe it was when we were in Richmond, right? I think. Or not Richmond, uh, Atlanta. Atlanta. Uh, We got a request for some limited content. Yeah. And we don't do much limited content, so... We don't.
0: <laughs> we don't. I think, I think that first, if you want... I think it depends on your level. Yeah. But like if you are like a competent drafter, I think Limited Resources yes. is a good podcast to go to. They kind of spend a lot of time uh breaking down the meta game for mm-hmm. the draft. Yeah. And they they rank all the cards when each set comes out, like every card. Every but card. The common and uncommon set review is like a four-hour podcast and then
1: they revisit it a couple weeks into a format too and they come
0: back and they're like hey we were right about this or wrong about this and here's how things are shaking up Mm -hmm. or shaking out so like if that if like you're to like that if you're like a spiky drafter and you feel like you're a good fundamental drafter yeah like that's gonna help push you over the end because they they say they're for new players but they're not really... Right. Uh, they're, like, kind of a level above. They're at that, like, people trying to, like, day two of a GP kind right. of draft level, yep.
1: I think. Yeah, I think they're four people of, like, our level. Yes. I, I believe yeah. that I am definitely the uh, target demographic for that podcast. For limited resources, yeah. yeah. That being said, they do a bunch of stuff that's not strictly limited also. They do like some strategy stuff, yeah. Um, like some of the evergreen stuff that
0: we do. So, also so we level the battlefield. Yeah. They do level ups, right? <laughs>
1: that's different. I that's promise. Different as pr- I promise.
0: <laughs> right. But yeah, where they look, they take like an overarching topic. Yeah. They usually do one episode a set on the sealed strategy. Like, yeah. I think that's going to be next week's podcast. There is just sealed like hey Mm -hmm. we've been able to play sealed for four or five weeks yeah and the ptqs are coming up for sealed here's how we think the sealed works Mm -hmm. but most of the time it's like they're going back talking about cards right or just how the draft format is yep working on a pick order that kind of thing so our plan is to kind of look more at the fundamentals Right. We're not going to
1: talk about, well, maybe a couple specific cards, but only as examples of things you should be doing.
0: Yes, exactly. as kind of like the baseline thing. Yep. For our bona fide aides as, as limited players, we both have day two at a limited GP. Yep. You went 11-4. I did. I went 10-5. So yours was in Modern Horizons, mm-hmm. and mine was way back in... Amonkhet? A- Amonkhet. Yep. Yeah. I played a red-white aggressive deck that splashed like uh, Samut off of two forests, and I got the jammer once and (laughs) win a game. Uh, A flash haste first strike. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. Um, I've knocked off a a few Pro Tour champions in Limited, so that was good. Uh, (laughs) I did not play against any pros. Yeah, I beat Jeremy Desani. And I beat Jim Davis and lost to Sam Party. My first draft deck was, like, interesting. Yeah. Had two uh, Approach of the Second Sons in it. Whew. A 40-card deck. That's pretty good. Yeah. I cast one, and I know he was counting, and I ripped the yeah. other one and cast it and won the game. <laughs> I was like, there you go. Sweet. I gained seven life and put two on a clock <laughs> and then drew another one. So we kind of know what we're doing. Yep. But, like, the basics we can go, go through and, like, what you should be trying to do when you sit down at the table. Yeah.
1: There's also two different ways to play limited, as we uh, alluded to earlier. There's sealed and draft. Yes. Um, We're going to talk mainly about draft today. Yes. A lot of the sealed stuff, we kind of cover that during pre-release time. Yeah. Uh, We talk about it briefly on our show, and we also do a video for Myrtle Beach Games where we sit down and build a sealed pool from scratch. Um, You can find that on their YouTube channel. But those, we also kind of give tips on how we build a sealed pool. Yeah, so it's the, not just the cards. Those
0: discussions are often between you and I. Are like, yeah. okay, is it worth going a third color for right. this card and this card? Or which removal spells should we play? Or yeah. like, what color should I be to get all maximize my removal spells? So yep. and those then, kind of discussions are kind of evergreen when it comes yeah. to sealed. Yeah.
1: So even though, you know, you might be watching a pre-release for... You know, dominaria or whatever, you can apply those those principles to any sealed pool.
0: Yeah, so just like the basic gist of how you build yeah. a sealed pool, like we talked about, like preparing for legacy. Right, when you watch a video, mm-hmm. right, you can like watch our video and go like, well, I would have picked this card for this reason and this reason, mm-hmm. and they chose another card. Like, you know, for these reasons, and you can kind of compare and contrast those and see like, okay, I agree with them. I don't. And like, yeah. think about what your assumptions were. Mm-hmm. Not only are there two ways to play limited, there are two ways to draft now in the world. Yep. So we have the eight person, ideally. Ideally. Um, draft where you sit down with eight people, either in person or on magic online. Right. And you crack packs and you draft. Mm-hmm. So if you're super new to draft, you pass left, pack one, you, pass, you take a card out, you pass the, the pack to the person to your left. Yep. Pack two. You, same thing to the right. Same to the right. Pack three, back to the left.
1: Yep. Right. So. And the reason we said ideally eight people is because if you're playing at any sort of competitive level, it's going to be in an eight-man pod but that's not always doable at a local game store. A lot of times you'll either have seven people show up for a draft or you'll have like 11 people show up for a draft. And in both of those instances, you really can't make like an eight-man pod. Yeah. The um, other
0: the other thing that the ideal situation is ideally you play in your pod. Yeah. Which means the eight people you draft with are the eight people you play against. Yeah. Now on Magic Online, they have the leagues. Mm-hmm. So now it's all cross pod play meaning right. that the eight people you draft with with you don't necessarily play against. Right. Because you draft your deck and maybe seven of those people go make dinner. Right. Then or maybe but,
1: you go make dinner and seven of those people
0: play. Yeah, and then you can just play with a random yeah that wasn't in your pod. The good thing is it makes it so your draft you get to play your games. Right. The bad thing is if everyone in your pack in your pod just open bad packs, which happens where like all twenty four all twenty four packs are just garbage rares that aren't good or they're really good constructed rares but don't do anything in limited. Right. Like let's say Emery. Right, right. Emery's a really good, perhaps broken modern card. Yeah,
1: there's not a whole lot you're going to do with it in Throne Draft, though. Yeah,
0: you're like, okay, this is a three-mana one-two.
1: Yeah, maybe I can get a Ginger Brute back later.
0: Yeah, like this is not good enough. But if everyone opens really bad packs, if you play in pod, you all have bad decks. Right, so it doesn't matter. So it doesn't matter. The problem is when you play cross-pod is if your pod opened bad packs... And someone else's pod open really good packs. Then you get squished. You get squished because your deck is just at a lower power level than their deck. Yep. But that's fine. It's usually not super pronounced. Yeah. But it does happen. So there's the eight person sit down. We all draft. And then there's the way we draft an arena. Which is with bots. Which is with bots. So what does that mean? What does that let us do? Why are we bot drafting?
1: The way they do it on Arena is you don't have to have other people drafting at the same time as you, so you can just you know fire it up. You can take as long as you want to to make your picks. I, I I'm pretty sure they're not timed,
0: right? They're not. You can log off the client. Yeah. Log back in, and take a draft pick. Like you yeah. can take a pick, close your computer, come back two days later, make, make you your second pick. pick. Yeah,
1: that makes it kind of nice, even though it's not like super practical as far as like real world applications though. Go. It does make it kind of nice that, you know, if life happens and something gets in the way, you're not just out of draft. Yeah. Or if, you know, for whatever reason your internet goes down, you don't just lose a draft. The
0: thing about the bots is at the start of the format, they're programmed with a pick order. Right. Or
1: something.
0: Something. And for the first three or four weeks, that pick order is not updated. Right. And then... I think we, we talked briefly about draft in our arena episode, like a part of our arena stuff, Mm -hmm. like an episode episode or two ago. And uh, we were like, these are the, these are the things that are currently underdrafted by the bots. Mm -hmm. And right after we said that they updated the bot. So they changed the bot pick orders. Mm -hmm. So I think what happens is they make a pick order. Then they kind of see what people are drafting. They either like actually track pick orders and then update the bots accordingly or they just see that like oh man like these are the decks that everyone gets we never intended someone to get seven reeve souls right in their black deck we need to run reeve soul up the pick order Mm -hmm. and so they change everything right so a lot of drafting on arena i think becomes gaming the bots Mm -hmm. right if you do three or four drafts a day for a week you start to learn that oh the bots never take X card yeah so I'm going to I would take this card third pick in a real draft but no you don't have to but I know it's going to come back because they never take it yeah so I'm going to take some other card that they take higher mm-hmm. and I know I'm going to get back this like premium uncommon
2: right
1: so there was a couple examples of this that popped into my head um, the first was the Gates deck yeah um, when guilds came out. Bots
0: were not drafting the Gates deck. You could last pick Gates. They weren't drafting Gates like yeah. the lands. Period. Yeah. So you would just take all the Gate payoffs right. highly, and then you would get all the Gates late. Yeah, and you'd have like decks that had fourteen Gates in them. Yeah, which is just
1: nuts. Yep. And then uh, like you said, the food deck a couple weeks ago.
0: The food deck, and also like the mill deck, is super easy. Yeah. And like particular cards, I think I mentioned last time, like Revenge of Ravens. Yeah. Apparently, there was you were getting that card like with three or four cards left in the pack. Oh man, and like I didn't know that, yeah, right. So, so like, when I did a like... draft, I drafted it like third because I was like, right. Well, this card's just bonkers. And it's like, Oh, if I could have taken the Reeve Soul and then known I was gonna wheel the yeah. Revenge of Ravens, I would have done that, yep. But so, yeah, it becomes less about like actual draft strategy and more about like. Gaming the bot pick order. Yeah, game theory and, like, the bot pick order. Yeah. So it's not super good practice for a... Actual event. Actual event. Yeah. It is good enough to, like, learn, like, oh, hey, these are how how these cards interact. These are how people use these cards. These are the combat tricks I have to worry about. These are what the archetypes look like. But it's not good for, like, what is my deck going to look like if I sit down at a draft... Right. Day two of the GP. Right. Right. You're like, I'm going to smash sealed, no problem. And then you sit down at your day two draft and you're like, oh no, like I thought I was going to get a revenge of Ravens. (laughs) I did not. (laughs) With three cards left in the pack. I didn't. Oh no, what do I do? Yeah. So just be mindful of that. That While the arena drafts are convenient, they're not the best proxy for that.
1: The key difference I have down here in the notes is when drafting versus people, your own pick order takes precedence, and when drafting against uh, bots on Arena, the bots' pick order takes yeah. precedence.
0: So you have here like people complain, like new players complain about like uh, that a a good player is going to take all the good cards.
1: Yeah, I, I hear this all the time at the game store. Trust me, when I when people sit down beside me, yeah. Um, well, I mean, I get it too, and I don't think I'm a great limited player. But every time I sit down, oh, I got to sit next to Carsten. Well, no, that's not how this works. <laughs> like you sitting next to me is a good thing. I promise. You yeah, know, that's what I always
0: say too. Yeah. And the reason for that is kind of our next thing. Yeah, and, I, I just wanted to put this yeah. little thing in here. Yeah. Because it, uh, so, so you would much rather, I would much rather sit beside our resident like our two resident like limited players. Absolutely. Uh, like a Greg pro tour guy Mm -hmm. and Nick old school. I don't sleeve my decks limited player. Right. Right. Because I know that I'm going to get good signals, which is the our next topic. But I know that Greg's not going to just randomly take cards because he thinks like the artwork's pretty. Right. Right. And (laughs) And I know if I, and I know if I give Nick cards, he's going to pick up what I'm in. Yeah. And so next pack I'm going to get paid off. Right. And if you sit beside two newer players that are just like, YOLO, I like this picture, and yeah. like, oh, like I took four red cards. And I drafted
1: I'm- a goblin deck. That's
0: not a goblin.
1: But it's got a goblin in the picture.
0: I actually had that happen. So did I. That's why I said it. The <laughs> the the thing that's like deal three to a creature with flying or yeah. like destroy an artifact or something, yeah. it has a goblin in the picture. Yep. My opponent like cast it, put it on the table, and I was like, that's an instant... It has no power or toughness, but there's Goblin. <laughs> I know there's a Goblin in the picture, not a Goblin. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So, being beside someone who's better, that actually makes the draft easier for you. It does. Right? And that's where you have to be able to receive signals. Mm-hmm. Right? And so, that's our next topic is receiving signals. And so, right. you'll hear people when they talk about draft in, in regards to signals is the phrase like, drafting your seat mm-hmm. what that means is is you figure out what colors are open for where you seat. are on the table right yeah you should never sit down to the draft and go like i want to draft blue green in most circumstances you're correct yeah because if you're getting past red and black cards yeah you should be in red black right right now i have sat down with like I've seen a deck drafted Mm -hmm. or, and I've been like, I want to try that. Yeah. And like maybe my first two picks, I'll like try to hedge and force it a little bit. Yeah. But then like, I'll like like,
1: a little suboptimal for what you would typically do. Yeah. Yeah. But
0: like if like third or fourth pick is like, yeah, this isn't here. Like I'm just going to jump ship and do something else. Yeah. But for the most part, you should sit down and be like, I'm going to draft what's open for my seat. Mm -hmm. So what that means is the person beside you, you want them to put you in a color to some degree.
1: Right. So you're going to be watching not only what you're picking out of a pack, but what other cards are in that pack also. Yeah.
0: So in <laughs> your first few picks, you want to take kind of the best card in the pack.
1: Yeah. And there's kind of a hierarchy for this also, right? Yes. So you want, typically, you want to go in this order. You want to take the best card in the pack, but you want to take the best card in your pack that will let you move to something later on so you want like colorless cards ideally first yeah and then something that's easily splashable like with one colored mana symbol and then something that would be like a primary color like two or three of the same mana symbol and then you would go to like a two color gold card or a three color gold card yeah
0: you don't typically want to put your you typically don't want to take a gold card though
1: right yeah, well, yeah, I just meant like as yeah. a hierarchy, yeah, yeah. that's kind of the order that you go in.
0: Like, I think the best first pick, maybe in, in Eldraine, might be like Stone Coil Serpent. Oh, yeah. Right, you take it, it, It so it's X for a zero zero that gets X plus 1 plus 1 counters that yeah. has trample and protection from multicolor, I think. And reach. And reach, something, he's got a lot yeah. of stuff on it, maybe reach. A lot of text. Right, it's colorless, Yeah. and it fits anywhere on your curve. Right. If you take that card first, you don't have to commit to any colored mana symbols. Right. And then you can see what the person beside you passes you yep. and you have one additional data point mm-hmm. before you have to like start committing to a color. Right. Right. So you want to take your first few picks are ideally the best cards in the pack. Right. Right. Uh, and each with each pack pick that you make, you're trying to figure out what is open.
1: Yeah, or what's missing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, what colors are you seeing good cards in? Right. So then, when we say what is open, it's, oh, hey, there are two really good black cards in this pack. Right. Right. So
1: the chances it, of there have been being like three, three when the pack started are slim. Or slim. Yeah. It's
0: like, oh, people aren't taking black. Right. So maybe I should be black. Right maybe your first like 3 to 6 picks you get to kind of be noncommittal and right. just take your best pick, uh, your best possible card right and then somewhere in that 3 to 6 pick range you want to start saying like what color am i yeah right and you hopefully can pick one color that you feel like you are or maybe you think you're just two colors maybe you're three pick or your six picks in mm-hmm. and you have three great black cards three great red cards and you're like, I think I'm red black. Yep. Cool. And then you're going to go through the rest of your pack. And here's where like you want to be mindful of you're building a deck. Correct. So you got those first like six picks. You've figured out what one color or maybe two colors you are. And then you're trying to build your deck the Mm -hmm. rest of the way out. Right. Even in pack one, you're building your deck. Yeah. So, Right. This is where, like, even if it's, like, a black cyborg card and, like, a good white card, like, maybe you just take the black cyborg card because you've got six good black cards already. Right. And you're not probably going to jump shit for that uh, white card. Correct.
1: It's also a place where you're going to look at mana symbols, too, because... You know, if it was just a white card with one mana, like one white pip, as opposed mm-hmm. to one with two white pips, like maybe you end up splashing white.
0: Great. So, like, Whereas, if you got like a really late trapped in a tower, yeah, you could take that. So, that's the one in on the white, like pacifism that you can only put on or arrest that you can only put on uh, non flyer, right? Right. Maybe if it's a really late trapped in a tower, you're like, well, I'm going to take this in hedge. Just in case I instead of being black red, I'm black white. Right. Ideally at the end of the first pack, you wanna be solidified in one color. That le- yeah. Right. What that lets you do is that lets your second what you open in pack two, mm-hmm. it gives that it lets that card be more impactful. Right. So, right, let's say you are you have a bunch of good black cards, a couple good red cards, and you got like a late reasonable white card, mm-hmm. and then you open the white, uh, mythic four or five flyer that makes two one ones, makes everything a the three. The Archon, three. yeah, the Archon, yeah, right. You just get to take that and yeah. be like, This plus my trapped in a tower or other good white card is better than the three red cards that I already have, yeah. I just get to take this now. If, but if at the end of like pack one, you're like, five black cards, five red cards, and, like, random stuff. Yeah, it makes it a lot harder or, to take that Archon. Yeah, to be like, you know what, I'm not going to take the... Yeah. I, mean, I can't throw away these five red right. cards or these five white cards, right? Yeah. But if you're, like, eight, three, and then some random stuff, yeah, it's easier, easier to throw away three. Yeah,
1: that it's also kind of a good point that I want to mention here because it's a trap that a lot of newer players fall into. The best card in the pack isn't always the rare. no. I've built a lot of limited decks with no rares,
0: but like baked in a pie, yeah, is better than some number of the rares in the set. Yeah,
1: and what you'd we, rather have a baked
0: in a pie than an Emery, right? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, I'd rather have a baked in a pie over a Fire's invention. A trash rare drafter here. The first couple drafts I do, like the like the week one draft, if I've opened my packs of the boxes I've bought, yeah, and I have three of a rare. I will rare draft it mm-hmm. and like I've put together decks where I've thrown away my first three picks in each pack, my first pick yeah. in each pack because I was like, Oh, I need, I need this Emery. I need this yeah. stable passage and I need this fires of invention and I'm green, black and my deck is good. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I wouldn't recommend doing that. Right. <laughs> but the point being is you don't need, you don't always need rares. Yeah. Now, Modern rares and modern mythics Mm -hmm. are typically so good that when it is one of the good rares, it's worth trying to fight to stay in that color. Correct. Right? So if you think about like War of the Spark, if you open a Liliana, you almost had to be black. Yeah. Same thing with like Garrick or Oko. Yeah, if you open Garrick or Oko, you're like, all right, I have to figure out a way to play this card because it's busted. So it kind of like skews the like, drafting for your seat it's more yeah. like I've gotta p- try to push people
1: out well that's kind of a pretty good segue into the next topic right
0: premium removal
1: is good well I was yeah I was gonna say sending signals fair because you kind of change your role at that point yeah but, well I think something
0: yeah. to get to first are the the uncommons yeah right so there's a signpost uncommons oh yeah, yeah which yeah. do two things one if you are like sitting down to do a draft and you've not done a draft before in this format and you want to know what the decks want you to do, Mm -hmm. read the gold uncommon.
1: Yeah, every like modern conventional magic set has a cycle of like 10 gold cards at uncommon that are meant
0: to kind of tie the archetypes together. Yeah, and they tell you exactly what those two colors want you to do. So there's... In this set, there's savvy hunter. Right. One green black for a three three. What yep. it attacks or blocks, make a food. Sec two food draw card. Mm-hmm. Yep. Green black wants you to make food. Yep, and use food. Yeah. Blue white has the spirit or whatever. That's one blue white. It's a one one flying vigilance. Yeah. If you have an artifact, it gets, gets plus, plus one plus one. one. If yeah. you have an enchantment, it gets plus one plus one. No. What does blue white want you to do? It wants you to play artifacts and enchantments. Yeah. Right. The red green one, uh, Grumgully... Wants you to play non-humans. Wants you to play non-humans and yeah. wants to make them big. Right. So it wants you to make big, stompy things that aren't humans.
1: Yep. The uh, red-black ones, the lance, it's an equipment. Guess what Green or black-red wants you to do?
0: But equipment make big things, but it has, like, equip to knights yeah. only costs one. Regular right. equip yeah. is three. So it wants you to play knights. Yeah. Uh, the red-white one, inspiring... Inspiring captain, inspiring yeah, veteran. Pumps knights. Yeah, it makes all knights get plus one plus one. Yeah. Red white wants you to be knights. knights. The black white guy has mm-hmm. toughness equal to the number of knights you control and gives a knight an attacking knight indestructible. Yep. Yeah. It wants you to play knights. <laughs> so it's telling you exactly what it wants you. Merrowleaf Pixie, blue, green yep. for a two-two flyer that taps for mana. Blue green wants you to just go big. Mm-hmm. Right. so the cards are telling you exactly what the deck wants you to do right now you're not always going to get a deck if it does exactly what the archetype wants you to do
1: no but if you see like we're talking about signals here so if you're halfway through your first pack or whatever you know six seven picks in and you see a savvy hunter come pie you know that at least the person next to you and probably the person next to them are not in green black
0: yeah that is a good sign that maybe you've got four black cards and a yeah. red card, and if the best card in the pack is green-black, and maybe you've seen a few other reasonable green cards the picks before, yeah. maybe you're like, maybe I should be green-black. Maybe I can throw this red card away, mm-hmm. and I'll get paid off by getting some uh, more green cards than the rest of this pack and in pack three. Yep. Right? So every time you decide, if you decide to ever switch a color, you're making a calculation of... This is what I this is what this card that I'm switching colors for gives me mm-hmm. is it plus what I already have in that color and plus what I can get right. better than the cards I have in the color that I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. The thing that's gonna make you the a way better drafter is figuring out what is open. Yeah. And like I will have drafts that I'm like partway through pack three and I'll just be like, Red was open. I shouldn't have been this. I yeah. should have been red but it's one of those things where it's like there was a really good red card but I already had most of a green black deck Yeah, and I was like well I'm just going to keep on this green black
1: path sometimes variance makes this difficult too because if you get a pack, like I've had packs with no blue cards in them before like that kind of makes it awkward to try and read signals if you know the person next to you opened a pack with no blue cards and you're like oh okay there's no blue cards in here they must be blue well it's not necessarily the case and then
0: maybe like Two packs later, there are four yeah. blue cards. No blue cards can be as like serious as literally no blue mana symbols right. or just no playable blue cards. Right. Where you're just like, none of these cards I would ever play. Yeah, I guess I'm going to take a green card. <laughs> Conditional counterspell
1: left over is, yeah, like, does not constitute eh. a blue card.
0: Yeah. So that's reading signals, and yeah. that is just trying to figure out what colors are open and what the best deck you can have is correct so that is the most important thing is figuring out what the person to your right is trying to tell you is trying to tell you yep right the thing that is less important is sending signals yeah right sending signals is less important for your draft right but is something that you will do and can help you unpack too yeah, that's so
1: the, that's when it becomes really important. Is pack two and even pack three.
0: Yeah, but pack two, your is when the person that's beside you mm. is to your left is passing to you. Right. Right. So sending signals is when you think about the cards you passed the person to your left. Mm-hmm. You can think like, oh, I passed them a bacon to a pie, and then a really good red removal spell. I feel like they should have taken those right so they might be red black yeah so in pack 2 i shouldn't expect to see much red black much red black that's when it matters mm-hmm. so what you can do so let's say you pass red and black cards and you were you were taking green mainly green and a little bit of blue mm-hmm. right and you open a really good white card mm-hmm. right you can jump ship on the blue right. and think that they're probably red and black, so they're going to pass me, ideally, the good white card that they opened because mm-hmm. they took a red or a black card. And then if the person beside them isn't in white, you're going to get that card too. Right? Right? And so you can be like, well, I can take this white card and see if I can get paid off with a few good white cards in the start of this pack. Mm-hmm. And then... I can use those few white cards plus the black cards I already have, and I can end up with a deck mm-hmm. that's more powerful.
1: Again, like we said in the last topic, like that's kind of the goal here is to end up with a deck and not just a pile of cards. Yeah,
0: so every pick you make, you are trying to build a deck. Yeah. And the sending signal things, this goes back to the idea that everyone at the table on some level should be working together. Right. Where if you make your best possible deck... That means you're staying out of mm-hmm. the other person's colors. Yeah. And
1: that that's a trap that a lot of like newer players fall into too. Like I've heard a lot of people, a lot of like the not really newer players, but like less experienced players I guess yeah. at the shop talking about how there's, you know, four people in their pod that are in the same color pair. Yes. That should absolutely never happen.
0: You should like realize that you're getting yeah. really awful cards. Yeah. And that maybe this is where you're supposed to be. I mean, I had a, did a six-person draft. I was mono blue. Mm-hmm. There was a green-white person, and the other four people were in black something. Yeah. And I was like, how does this happen? <laughs> this makes Should not no happen. sense. Yeah. Right? You want to all work together. Mm-hmm. But sending signals doesn't matter as much because you're only getting one pack from that person right. that you sent signals to. Is it just keeping in the back of your mind like, oh, I passed these three really good cards. I don't think I'm going to get paid off in pack two.
1: Well, I mean, it matters for pack three also, though, because you're you're kind of reinforcing what the signals that you picked up on in pack one. Mm. Like you're telling them that I got your signals and... You know, this is what I'm giving you.
0: Yeah. So the person that you're passing to Impact Two, right, is going to be passing if, if back you to think you Impact Three. If you think they're blue, something, right, and then you pass them really good blue cards. Yeah. Right. You're telling them, yes, I know you're in blue. Yeah. You know I'm not in blue. Right. So you should pass me your good not in blue card. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is uh, I had this later on. But this is where, like, hate drafting annoys me. Yeah. Right? So when you, like, pack three, pick one, take a good card that you can't play mm-hmm. because you're afraid that you're going to make someone else's deck better. Yeah. You made your deck worse. Correct. And especially the way that our FNM drafts work where they're cross pod. Yeah. The odds of you playing the person that you're passing to right. are very to small. Not. If you think about it, like if you hate draft a card, you made your deck worse by some percentage. Mm-hmm. Even if you play that person, one, there's a certain percent that you are to play that person. Yeah. And then there is the chance that they actually draw that card. Right. Right. Out of forty cards. Out of forty cards. So most of the time the percent worse you make your deck. Yeah is more damaging than the percentage that you're going to play that person. Yeah. And that they you see the, the card. They, and that you see the card. Yeah. So, like, the idea of, like, everyone drafting as a team, mm-hmm. right, is that you clearly sent signals that you are black, mm-hmm. right? If the person beside you that's passing you in pack three opens Ayara, right, right, they should pass it to you you should get paid for sending a clear signal and being like hey i know you're not in black Mm -hmm. right give me that black card because you're gonna take you're gonna take turn into a pumpkin because you're blue green yeah it is an uncommon and you're gonna pass me that rare because you can never play it
1: right so that's another thing that's kind of important that i want to touch on real quick is that we're not talking about you know, people sitting around a table being nice to each other and saying, here, have this rare. Like, that's not, how, that's not how this is working. We're talking about, you know, people opening packs and picking the ideal card for their pack. And when you say getting paid for sending the signals, you're not talking about, oh, you remember that blue card I gave you last pack? Well, now now you should give me that black card. What we mean is that that person can't play that black card. At all. So you get it. Not not that they're going to be nice and give it to you. It's that
0: that's how that should work. Going back to my six-person yeah. draft, I was mono blue. Yeah. I was the only person taking any blue cards. Right. The person beside me opened Gadwick the Wizened. And at the end of the draft, as we we're laying out our decks, he mm-hmm. said, oh, man, I'm really glad I hate-drafted this and showed me a Gadwick. <laughs> and I was like, that was my card. Yeah. You ha- you could- There is no world that you can play this in your deck that has Ayara in it. Right. You should just pass that to me Mm -hmm. because... You should have taken a card that you can play. Yeah, like, was there, like, a bacon to a pie or Mm -hmm. a reeve soul or any number of cards that are, like, playable, and you took the blue, blue, blue card (laughs) because you were afraid someone might play it against you? Yeah. Right? It doesn't make any sense. No. Right? So even if you're, like, playing Mm in-pod, right... Don't hate draft. No. Because you make just make, make your deck worse. Yep. Now, the caveat to this is like you open a foil full art once upon a time, take your eighty dollars. Absolutely. And just be like, Cool, I just got eighty dollars. Yeah, no, rare drafting is a little different than hate rare drafting. Rare drafting's a little different, but like a guide with the wizard's like fifty cents. Right, yeah. You're not like, you're not
1: getting that for value.
0: Right. Like, you're just supposed to like pass that card and yeah. be like, Hey, I can't play this, but you can, because I know in pack two, I saw zero blue cards. Right. And so you must be in blue. I can't play this card. You gave me all the black cards in pack two. Mm-hmm. Here's your blue card. Yeah. And it's, again, it's not that you say to them, hey, remember I passed you a bacon a pie? Right. It's that they figure out. Right. That, oh, hey, you're in blue, and I can't ever play this card.
1: Yep. If you've done your job sending signals, and they've done their job receiving them, there should be no question where that card goes.
0: Yeah, and at the end, you both end up with a better deck, right? I know it doesn't make sense because you are like, well, what if they draw the card and beat me with it? It's like, well, yeah, but what if you draw your Reeve soul and kill their creature and kill them before they get to like draw three cards with their Gadwick, right? Well, then you won the game, but no, you pass that reef soul, and now you have no way to remove their stupid one five turtle, and right. you can't attack. So yeah, always work to find the right find the right cards for your deck. Mm-hmm. Another thing that people get hung up on is five mana cards always look really good. Yeah. Right? They're always powerful, but you can only play so many. Maybe like three to five, maybe two to four somewhere in there. Well,
1: I would say
0: three to five cards. That are five mana. Total
1: or. that cost five mana or more. Yeah.
0: So you don't have to prioritize them. Right. Right. The general like rule of thumb is take the cheaper thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's exceptions, though.
0: There are. There, I mean, I, I'm not saying, like, hey, six mana white mythic thing again, the Archon. Yeah. You take that card. Yeah. Right. But if you. Like Sir Conrad. Sir Conrad. Right. Yeah. Fine. But if it's like a really all the Sirs. Yeah. I don't know which one's the bad one. The white one? The white's just bad. But anyway.
1: Um the green one's
0: not great either. Oh yeah, but it's a two drop. That's true. You wanna have an actual mana curve. Mm-hmm. You need to have two threes and fours.
1: Yeah, which is kind of tough to do in a draft and keep in the back of your mind because you're not allowed to like lay your deck out as you're drafting it. In
0: in a competitive like at a day two of a GP, yeah. right? You get to draft, yeah. and then you're not allowed to actually pick up your packs. Right. So for the most part, when I draft, even at the store, I don't pick up my packs. Yeah, I don't either. And then uh, at in between your packs, you're supposed to get like a minute or a minute and a half. Yeah, I think it's a little bit more than a minute. But yeah, you're given some amount of time to, to go, go through. through. Your and so what I do is I take everything and I sort up my mana cost mm-hmm. real fast. So I mean, like, oh, I have two two drops. Yeah. Oh, I have three five-drops. I can't take another five-drop unless yeah. it is absurd, and even then I might not be able to take it. Right. right. You can always find Colossal Dreadmaws mm-hmm. and, you know... Yeah, five... there's no reason
1: to fifth-pick one.
0: Yeah, you can always find a five-mana 4-4 four, four Vanilla. Yep. Right? But you're not always going to find a two-mana 1-2 two Strike. Correct. Right? And, like, that card's good... And it's hard to come by, but there are the five mana cards are usually interchangeable. Mm-hmm. So unless it is a like an A plus level card, right? There's no reason to take it when you just know that pick nine, you're gonna get other vanilla mm-hmm. six drop. Be mindful that you're always trying to build a curve. Yeah, and that if given the choice between an expensive card and a cheap card, typically take the cheap card. The idea being, let's say your evaluation is. This is a B and this is a B. Mm-hmm. Take the cheaper B. Right. It's going to go into more decks. Yeah. Now, if it's like an A plus and a C, Right. take the A plus five drop. Sure. Figure it out. Yeah. But for the most part, err on taking the cheaper thing mm-hmm. so you don't get run over.
1: Yeah. The other thing is to make sure that you're drafting a reasonable mix of creatures and spells. It's kind of in the same vein as drafting a curve, but I've seen a whole lot of decks where people have only drafted like ten creatures because they thought, "Oh, this spell is cool and splashy," "Oh, this spell is sweet," and then when they go to put their deck together, they don't have anything that actually wins the game.
0: I typically draft a lower number of creatures. Mm-hmm. I really prioritize removal. Right. I end up playing more like on the controlish side of mid range yeah. in drafts, where I want to have four, five, six pieces of removal. Mm-hmm. And then whatever, like, trash I have laying around, I will win. The, get around to winning the game with eventually. Somehow, yeah. Right. But usually you want to have 14 to 18 creatures. Yeah, usually somewhere around 17, 18 creatures. Yeah. I usually fall more on the 12 to 14 end yeah. of the spectrum. Uh, but That's fine if you can draft the rest of the deck to support it, but yeah.
1: sometimes getting that number of removal spells is tough.
0: Yeah, So, but you want to... Uh, make sure that you have like a reasonable curve, reasonable curve with your creatures. Yeah. And you know, if you draft, draft a lot of removal spells, you want to draft card draw right, to refill. Yep. But if you don't have a lot of removal, you might only, you can't play a lot of card draw. You can't right. like play, what is it? Unexplained visions. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't have three of those and just your, your fifth and sixth turn, just be like, tap all my mana and not play yeah, a no. blocker. Yeah. No, that doesn't work. You die. Right, so you just want to be mindful of having enough creatures. I'm not a huge fan of combat tricks, which is sometimes to my detriment. Mm-hmm. There are certain sets where combat tricks are good, yeah, and sets where they're bad. They're bad a lot of times when you have a lot of instant speed removal. Right, that's cheap, which we don't usually get a lot of. Mm-hmm. But like cheap instant speed removal is a problem for mm-hmm. combat tricks. Same with like auras. Yeah, right. You go to like play your aura. And they kill the creature out from underneath your aura. Yeah. And now you have two for one. And that's like having that happen once or twice is a good way to like lose a game. Oh, it's also a good way to break that habit. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, oh, I I shouldn't draft this like gives creature plus two plus one. It's like, yeah, you could have just played a two one. Yeah. And got the same like effect without getting blown out. Yeah. So as
1: a, a real quick aside here, you can kind of play a sub game in your head while you're drafting if you want to. Okay where you're receiving signals from the person on your right and you're putting them in a color and you're sending signals to the person on your left and you're putting them in a color and then obviously vice versa for pack two When back to normal pack three when the draft is over try and confirm that with your neighbors like if if i'm pretty sure that the guy on my right's in green black and i'm pretty sure that the guy on my left is in blue white Like, just ask them. Ask them real quick. You know, I noticed you took this and this. Are you green-black? I noticed you took, you know, this flyer. Are you blue-white? Yeah. So kind of bringing it all together here, um, like in a normal like competitive-style 8-man pod, when you're playing in your pod, I think we alluded to this a little while ago, but you don't have to build the best draft deck ever built. You just need the best draft deck in your pod.
0: You don't even need the best draft deck in your pod, right? right. You need like a yeah. you need a functional deck. Yeah, there are enough limited games if you have played enough limited mm-hmm. that come down to someone not getting a color, right, or someone flooding out, right. That like,
1: or somebody being too slow, or somebody running out of gas, or yeah. whatever.
0: If you have a functional deck mm-hmm. that you are in all your games, yeah, right. You'll sometimes win game one, lose game two. And then your opponent gets stuck on two lands, game three, Yeah. and you you were able to play a two drop and a three drop, and that was and good you, enough. And you win the game because yeah. right, you had a functional deck, mm-hmm. right? But if and you get stuck on three lands, but you like didn't have eight five drops in your deck. Yeah, you had a reasonable curve, and you are like, oh, I have eight cards I can draw and cast here. Yeah, okay.
1: That was kind of a kind of a running joke i don't know a year or two ago between me and greg one of the better players at our store was that a lot of times in draft like the curve kind of gets forgotten and as long as you can like one drop two drop three drop like that's really hard for somebody to come back from like if if they're not you know set up to handle that so that was kind of the inside joke between me and him because we both kind of prefer like a little bit more aggro deck in draft yeah so, you know, we'd ask each other how we did in, like, the last round or whatever, and he'd go one drop, two drop, three drop. <laughs>
0: See, like, I am hard against one drops for the most part. Yeah. Like, they're typically not impactful enough. Yeah. And that's another thing to think about, right, is, like, let's say you play a one-mana 1-1, one, one, mm-hmm. and your opponent plays nothing on turn one. You get in for one, mm-hmm. and then they play a 2-2. Two, two. Right. What does your one-mana 1-1 one, one, one do now? Yeah, not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. Right, so is your one damage worth a card, and it's like, well, no, probably not, yeah, now granted, if they like like gingerbreot since it has like w- weird evasion, evasion, yeah, right, sometimes that card's good enough to get there, yep, or like you know one mana one one flyers aren't great, but like if you wanna like go in, in on a strategy like you would Gingerbrute where you're like, I'm gonna put pants on this guy, slitherblade, and I'm just gonna hope to to ride it to victory, then fine, mm-hmm. but. Right, a lot of times they're not good enough because you don't have, like, they can't punch in damage. Yeah. Right, but, like, two-mana tutus, two and now most two-mana tutus two have, like, some something. ability. Yeah. You know, they have Vigilance, or... You can spend eight mana to do something later on in the like game. Like, later on in the game. Yeah. That's another thing. Cards that are good early and cards that are good late are always important. Yeah. Right? Just because... A 2-mana two 2-2 two two that has an 8-mana activated ability means that, like, if you draw it on turn 15, mm-hmm. you can probably play it and then start activating its ability. Yeah, and typically things that cost 8-mana to activate are pretty good. There was the Invoker cycle yeah. back in, like, uh, BFZ, and, like, the red one was just, like, 8-mana Lightning Bolt something. hmm And it's like, well, 8-mana seems like a lot, but if the game goes forever, you just get to Lightning, lightning bolt, bolt stuff things. every turn. Yeah. And that's good enough. Yeah. Right? But it was a two mana two two that sometimes did something really good, which mm-hmm. is way better than just Grizzly Bear. Right. That does that, nothing. That does nothing. Also with like modern sets, like you want to try to avoid the cards that just are like flavor text. Right. Because they print enough cards that are just better than that. hmm Like Summit Prowler is a two red red for a four three. That showed up in like all the con sets. Yeah, the card like was nowhere near good enough to be played. Right. When there was all this other cool stuff, when like things with like giant text boxes that did things. A mm-hmm. uh, so, four mana four three.
1: Yeah. What was the was teamer? Sabertooth. Teamer Sabertooth. Yeah. Yeah. It was that, a four mana four three that lets you like bounce something and give like, it indestructible.
0: Like yeah you would yeah you would return a card to your ha- a permanent yeah. to your hand or a creature to your hand and that card got indestructible. Yeah. It was like it was an uncommon semi P was a yeah was a common but like you'd much rather put that in your deck Absolutely. than a four mana four three do nothing right and like that is you know a design philosophy is like there's a lot more powerful commons now mm-hmm. they talked about in M twenty about the fire commons yeah like the things that were just really good at common and that was like was it ancient silverback. Yeah, that card was great. The 5 4 trample that when it died, you drew a card. Yeah. And uh, Cloudkin Seer, mm-hmm. the 3 mana 2 1 flyer ATB draw, draw a card. card. Yep. Right. So they, they are pushing commons. Mm-hmm. And so there are a lot more just playable commons yeah. that do something. This is common sense, but like 2 mana 2 2 flavor text two mana two two keyword Mm -hmm. as long as the keywords not like lose the game (laughs) you take the two mana two two keyword yeah i mean even if it's banding yeah you're just like (laughs) this is better than not having a keyword right and your deck should end up with a lot more cards that have keywords and effects and a lot less just like vanilla cards Mm -hmm. and again since the vanilla cards aren't super valuable the five mana five five no text You don't have to be like, oh, man, I need a big stomping thing to win the game. That big stomping thing is going to come back. Yeah. Or Nobody else wants it either. Yeah, or you're going to see six of them in the draft. Right. And it's fine. You can take one at some point. Mm -hmm. You're going to find a window. Yeah. You want to have, like, usually three or four, maybe five, two drops, Mm -hmm. a similar number of threes, less fours, less fives in your creature slot. Yeah. And then like a mix of removal spells and things of different mana costs in your spell slots. Yeah. But most removal is four mana now, four or five. Yeah, four or five. So right, you, your your is gonna be it's gonna skew heavier on the casting cost. So that's why you can't have like a bunch of five drop creatures because then like you're baked into a pies. Right. And they become you, awkward. Yeah, and then you're the searing barrage or yeah. whatever. That's five mana. Or you Then you end up with like seven to five mana cards in your deck and it doesn't work. You're right. There's an old article that was written, God, years ago now. Uh, Yeah, I believe it was
1: like 20, 2011 or 2012.
0: Yeah, which is uh, by Ben Stark, who is I think just universally recognized as like the best limited player in the world.
1: Yeah, he's a pretty eccentric dude but yeah
0: his his whole life is focused on uh, expected value yeah what is the best? what what ev do i get for eating this burrito yeah whatever right whatever it is but he had an article called drafting the hard way and mm-hmm. i will do my best to remember to like put it in the description or tweet it out yeah right but drafting the hard way goes is talking about in more detail yeah reading signals knowing when to switch out of a color
1: yeah, and also like a little bit about we talked about at the very beginning of this with like your first couple picks setting you up to move between colors.
0: Yeah. I guess one more thing. So we talked about gold cards mm-hmm. and how gold cards aren't always super great because they commit you to two colors. And what right. if you take the red, black, gold, rare, mm-hmm. the the knight, whatever it is, the two two that like has menace and attacks and you draw yeah, a card? Yeah. Right. If you take that and then you end up black white you just mm-hmm. don't get to play that card. Correct. Right? So if you would have taken just bacon to a pie mm-hmm. and you ended up black-white, you get to play bacon to a pie.
1: If you ended up black-red, you still get to play
0: bacon to a pie. Yeah. So the the gold cards, since they commit you to two colors, are hard yeah. to take. There are also cards that are one color that are secretly gold cards. Right. Right? So like a good example of this is like uh, Mad Ratter mm-hmm. or Iron Crag Pyromancer. Yep. Right? They are the, when you draw your second card for a turn, do a thing. Yeah. They want you to be blue. Right. right? Because so, blue draws you cards. Yeah. So, like, you know, you have to take your iron Ironcrag Pyromancer. You're secretly taking a red-blue gold card mm-hmm. because it wants you to be blue. Yeah. So you're like, so you just be mindful that even cards that are... Single colored. Sometimes yeah. they're trying to commit you to a second color. Yeah, because they're they're committing you to an archetype. Yes, yeah, so they're committing you an archetype which has a certain color associated with it. Right. Uh, next up is arena stuff. Yeah, what do we got going on in the world of arena? So I went through uh, our data today. I don't know if I have it set up on a different day than I had before. I I went through it today. That's fine. I was late to the party. That's fine. So we had only fifty two matches played. Uh, across all levels it mm-hmm. was uh me down in gold and ken kicking it up in diamond and then good old thack daddy <laughs> uh was playing some games and so we have a very different metagame on arena than we had on uh the mythic championship yeah we do so a few things is one like Bant golos was only 14 percent where it was 40 of the mythic championship 40 of the mythic championship we have a lot of off-meta, yeah. and I think that is uh, a result of how we built the, the list. Could be. Because I went through MTG Goldfish mm-hmm. and picked their their decks, and then Ken Yu Gihiro made the Rotting Regisaur Embercleave right. deck, and that showed up a whole, whole bunch. Yeah. And so that wasn't a deck we had accounted for. I know I played it like three or four times. Mm-hmm and just had to throw it in, like, the off-meta stuff. Yeah. And I was playing it for a while. Yeah. I was not very good with it. I did (laughs) not. His sideboard is super straightforward. It's, like, four of a thing, four of a thing, four of a thing, and it's just, like, take out four of these, put in these four. I do not know what four things I'm supposed to take (laughs) out to put in the four (laughs) things. Yeah, I may have been playing it suboptimally. Yeah. But, like, even I was playing it, and it's, like, there's no place for this on... He's kind
1: of known for like wacky lists anyway, right? Yeah, like he was
0: on like mono blue tempo before it was actually a deck. Yeah, like he's when he started playing that. He's done a couple other weird things, Mm -hmm. but so we had Bant Golos, then like Gruel Aggro, which is a deck specifically built to beat Golos. Golos, Red Black Sacrifice. Yeah, that was pretty popular, and then. I tweeted out a, a list of a red black sacrifice list that people were playing that said was good against uh, the card breeding pool, mm. which that was know, the one Emma Handy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that might be something worth um, investigating. Investigating if we are in like a breeding pool world. Yeah, and then other than that, it was just kind of like rando stuff i guess yeah. mono black was also a lot of the metagame yeah i saw a bunch of mono black and back. i think mono black is good against breeding pool mm-hmm. because like you have the like a uh, cauldron familiar yeah. which oven, of engine yeah and like you don't have to attack through the zombies you're just like two you all gain to sack it sack it uh, chump block something yeah and so you get this like you have a way to like stabilize mm-hmm. and like have reach. But it seems like maybe there are a lot of people that were didn't want to invest wild cards in a deck that they thought might get banned. I mean,
1: maybe, but last time they did that, they paid us back the wild cards. Oh, they did? Yeah, when they banned Nexus. Oh yeah, they, they paid did. you back wild cards.
0: I forgot. Yeah. I'm old. So, you know, that's the thing that happens. It happens. But no, it happens there might the best of us. But it may have happened it may happen that people were like, you know, yeah. I don't want to like get timing with this deck. Right. Just for it to go away. Not be able to play it. Yeah, so there wasn't anything that like super stuck out. I guess the next like event is the Eldraine standard. Mm-hmm. I think I put together mono black. You you're talking about like the block constructed The type block thing? constructed where yeah. it's just Eldrain cards. Yeah. Uh, I think it'll probably start Monday or Tuesday. Like yeah. I think I just put together like mono black. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to
1: play that. I am still pretty up in the air about what I'm looking to play for Richmond. So I think I need to spend more time with the format and kind of hone in on a
0: deck for Richmond. Yeah, I guess I don't know what I'm playing either. Yeah. So the blue-red deck seems fine. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's good enough. Yeah. So... And the sideboard definitely has to, like, be different. Yeah. It uh, it certainly punishes
1: people that don't know what they're doing, though. Like, yeah, people, people that are kind of floundering around in the format, mm-hmm. it will punish them.
0: Yeah. And, like, just the fact that you play so much at instant speed and yeah. it's a, kind of an off-the-wall deck yeah. that people don't know what it's capable mm-hmm. of doing, so you do kind of get percentage points there. Yeah. Like, when you go, like, you know, uh, Temple of Epiphany... And they're like, okay. And then they, like, play their turn to Oko and you mystical dispute at game one. And they're like, <laughs> wow. wow, my draw just got way worse. <laughs> but, like, it does have the event. Like, I think that going forward, if we are, like, in a goose Oko world, like, shock gets really good. Yeah. Just to kill the goose. Yeah. Mystical dispute gets really good because you have to fight over yeah. turn two Oko, turn to Teferi. Yeah. The cheap removal is good against the the red black mm-hmm. x aggressive decks like the mardu knights deck like yeah. they can't beat the card shock right but the problem is is no one's playing the card shock That's so it's not a problem bad yeah Removal's awful yeah it's uh we've come in a circle very shortly here <laughs> yeah oh trust me yeah, like the what is it searing dragon fire or whatever it is slaying fire slaying fire yeah no not slaying fire that's the three mana one the the two mana one that exiles oh yeah 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 that like hits a planeswalker I cut that a lot because I'm just like there are no creatures I can kill with this (laughs) and Oko goes to six why the you've got to go away yeah see you later buddy (laughs) yeah but yeah I think that we should solidify hopefully midweek I mean people are already writing articles about like post Golos standard like I don't know if the Gruul deck's are around yeah i don't know if you don't have Golos lows to beat up on right so it'll be interesting i think next podcast we should have a better sense of what standard looks like
1: yeah next
0: week's gonna be a little awkward too because
1: i'm leaving next week or not next week but the week after i'm leaving for uh for school for a week so that's another we have to record on a sunday
0: yeah, but hopefully there's like a Star City standard event, yeah. so we can at least see
1: what people are going and playing. Yep. There was also uh, one more thing I want to throw in here. Okay. Uh, there was an announcement this week about GP Richmond. Okay. You hadn't heard this. The mystery pack draft. The mystery pack draft.
0: They didn't. Even, they're just like there's a mystery pack draft, and it's like seventy five bucks or something. Yeah. Like, what is it? What is in a mystery pack? Nobody it's a mystery. knows. Like, I'm sorry, I'm not going to pay $25 a pack for a draft?
1: Well, supposedly it's uh, whatever next supplemental product Okay, is what I've heard. So I don't know if it's like another Master's
0: set, if it's another Modern Horizons, I don't know. But at $25 (laughs) a pack, I better like open a decent amount of stuff. Yeah, I have no idea. Because like, okay, fine. Are they three collector's boosters? Because like, you can Maybe. even make your money back on collector boosters. Yeah. Right? So, like, hey, here's... I made you $75 and you gave me, like, $12 in cards <laughs> and, like, an experience that I would have paid the same amount for. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. I yeah. don't know. I don't, I'm not sure what it is, but it's interesting.
0: Yeah. It is. I don't know if it's something I will be participating in. Well, I mean, we definitely won't Friday or Saturday. No. Hopefully not Sunday. Hopefully not Sunday. So hopefully we won't be, but Hopefully Blue Red Scark and Hellkite <laughs> is uh good enough. Hopefully the format shakes out. We may find ourselves we've got three weeks before Richmond. Do we? Yeah. Yeah. Three weeks. So we might uh you might find us doing a a podcast where we break down the standard format and maybe go through like That's probably a great idea. What you like go through what the format is and then maybe do what we kinda did for Legacy. Yeah. Where it's like, hey, what are all the decks? Yeah. What are the sideboard cards or how do you want to approach these decks? Mm-hmm. Just to like, you know, have that figured out. Yeah. Because again, I don't think we're gonna able to play enough games mm-hmm. between now and then to like figure it all out yeah, without like actually doing homework. Yeah. I
1: mean the good thing is like standard standard isn't like legacy. It's though. much like, smaller. You yeah. Your cyborg, you can jump in and not feel super lost.
0: Your cyborg guide is going to be yeah maybe a page yeah it's not going to be no it's going to be like three or four decks instead of yeah it's not going to be twelve yeah twelve or fifteen so that'll make it significantly easier mm-hmm. so it's also a lot less complex
1: it is there's a lot less interactions to
0: learn it is like how do I counter this hybrid crisis oh you don't you That's don't how. <laughs> uh, so, with that, I think we're probably done, right? I think so, yeah. yeah. So if you have any more show ideas, because uh, this was the the limited part of this was mm-hmm. just a uh, a tweet or a Facebook message. Yeah, I don't even remember who shot it out to us, but yeah, thanks you, for the idea. Yeah, you can get at us at a uh, casual tripod on
1: Twitter. Yep, you can find us at casual tryhard MtG on Facebook. You can shoot us an email at show at CasualTryHardMTG.com, dot com and you can also hit up our YouTube page, I guess.
0: Yeah, hopefully we'll throw some out there. If we yep. we figure out standard, maybe we'll start putting up some yeah. some stuff. Yep. But with that, I think we're done here. Yep, we'll cut you off in